Alex, do you hear that? What was that? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was nothing. I'm gonna go outside and smoke a dube. Don't go outside. This is that haunted camp where that boy was drowned and all those murderers were buried and also probably some Indians were buried under the... I don't care. I like smoking dubes and do whatever I... Oh my God! Ah! everybody welcome to blockbuster film school i'm alex bonner and i am joined as always with nicholas Souder. hello hey how's it going um if you couldn't tell we're gonna do something just a little bit different something a little bit spookier this week something that's very near and dear to our heart something that shaped do we share a heart um, we do now something that at least shaped my version of how the world works and most of my sexuality as a child. We're going to do something called 80s horror motion pictures this week. Uh, (laughs) It's going to involve a lot of boobs and a lot of people getting stabbed or hit in the head with axes, but also probably some dolls that come to life. Definitely a lot of dolls that come to life and a lot of producers doing cocaine and getting rich. Plus a bunch of actors who had no career and then they did a horror movie that got big and then they had huge careers. We'll go into all this stuff, but I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome back. Welcome to this. No one's going to get murdered. I don't think so. Oh, God. If, because I mean, I said, we're all going to die. Okay, but because I'm the Jamie Kennedy one who brought up the idea. Oh, but that's 90s horror. We won't do that this time. Yeah, he also, also made it to the second movie. That's what I'm saying. He, so if this is a two-parter, mm, you die in the next one. And then this becomes Jamie a solo Kennedy episode. Show. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just got a Jamie experience. <laughs> like I said, you're at the Blockbuster Film School. We're glad you're here. We're going to go into 80s horror. This is some heavy-duty shit right here. So we're going to go into it. It's going to be a little different than some of our normal episodes. We're still going to have the Blockbuster wall at the end. But we're going to kind of just go through the 80s and go through, I think, timeline kind of works best. Nick, what was the, do you remember the first horror movie that you ever saw? The f- horror movie that I remember watching first is Poltergeist. Oh. Watched that in our neighbor's basement. She had the VHS. Yeah. And it scared me so bad. I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and then I just stayed in there. It was the scene with the when he was looking in the mirror. Yes. And he freaked out. So my plan was to run into a bathroom and hide and just be like, oh, I'm keeping the light off. Until eventually someone just came up to are you hiding in the bathroom from the movie? We paused it. I don't want to watch it. Well, we have to pee. <laughs> Too bad. Also, I'm a producer, and you got to be on the movie Coach. <laughs> you got to be on the TV show Coach. All right. You knew they were down there. <laughs> they just moved the tombstones. <laughs> Dauber. <laughs> that movie definitely terrified me as a child. For some reason, like weird parts stick out to me, like the part where he gets home from work and his wife has her like wearing a helmet, and she's like, "Watch!" and Carol Ann slides across the floor. Fucking creepy. And I was like, don't fuck with this, you fucking boomer psychos. Like, what are you doing? And the main thing about the thing that's scary about Poltergeist. Yes. It is very nonchalant. Yes. It's just, oh, hey, blah, blah, blah. Oh, hey, just blah, blah. Oh, and boom. And boom. And boom. It escalates to a mess. Agreed. And it truly felt like how idiot people in American culture in the 80s would actually behave in a haunted house. They'd be like, this is fine. 
this is not a big problem. Yeah. Like, let's keep ignoring this. It's let's the, keep denying this. Poltergeist is that original meme of the dog sitting on the house on fire. Like, this is fine. This is fine. This is, maybe Toby Hooper was uh, having a climate change sort of allegory way before anybody else was. Children are being sucked into the television and they live there now. I don't know. Actually, now that I think about it, it's, uh, it's sort of weird. Anyway, but let's. Let's start at the beginning, because also I think we should bring up, obviously horror movies have existed since the beginning of cinema. Some of the earliest, you know, it's like Westerns were created as silent movies, but in German Expressionism, as well as in French films, there was horror. There was Nosferatu. There was the cabinet of Dr. Caligieri. So there have always been people. Also, it, the first film, hmm. the first like actual movie ever made was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Well, debatable of whether, you know, the great train robbery, but I know what you're saying. Yes. No, I'm talking about that. I mean, like just the first like Edison's movie that he made, that was a horror film. Oh, absolutely. It was like a minute and a half, but it was a horror film. And that first Edison film where he just came out and took his dick out and was just like, I'm going to electrocute this fucking elephant. It was a horror movie for America. Pause for Brian to edit that out. (laughs) No, this is science and history. No, there is literally a movie. There's a silent movie of... Thomas Edison just electrocuting an elephant, being like, check this shit out. So that should tell you something about how how far American culture has actually come of being less assholes. I don't know. That's not true. Uh, Yeah, I know. Now that I say it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I would make the argument that, honestly, after German Expressionism, you have horror movies that are kind of not all that scary. You have a lot of like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's Frank Whaley and there's the original Frankenstein and there's a lot of Frank Whaley, excuse me. But a lot of the 1950 horror movies are like attack of the ants, you know, the, uh, the black people move into your neighborhood, you know, just terrifying. In, movies. in fairness, to those movies, they were afraid of nuclear bombs and right. America's always been afraid of black people. So <laughs> exactly. Those they're, are very topical. Things. They're always, yeah. And there was like the twilight zone. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. And then you have Hitchcock and it's very surreal. Which, don't get me wrong, Hitchcock and the initial slasher, absolutely. But they're kind of few and far between. And with the exception of a few, a lot of them are very hokey until you get to kind of the 60s start to get weird. But then in the 70s, you really amp it up. Everybody's getting weird. It's post-Vietnam. People start to appear. Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, John Carpenter, and particularly John Carpenter in my mind. Because once Halloween happens, then... Halloween is this mega hit. It is all things. It's all three. It is supernatural. It is slasher. It is well executed. It has dope music. I know that's more than three. I know how to think. But it creates this whole push because it's a mega hit. It is a fucking beast man hit. And after that, you then go directly into this perfect storm of the 80s where you have Ronald Reagan, who I got to tell you, kids, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan, a bunch of assholes who created more economic strife and also were like, you know what's bad? Horror movies, drugs, getting wild. And so guess what? Everybody was like, you know what I like? Drugs, horror movies, and getting wild. So in 1980, though, I'm going to list off just the movies that came out in my mind, my big highlights of 1980. and See if any of them are on your list. In 1980, you have The Fog, which is the horror movie follow-up to... (laughs) Halloween. Halloween for John Carpenter has a great poster. Feel like that movie is. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's underrated, but it is. It's not scary. 
It's a boring movie, but it's right. better than people remember. It's very atmospheric. It's kind of like he's going back to a lot of the yeah. 70s it's, sort of, there's a ghost, and George C. Scott is terrible. Like, I think that's further than the 70s. <laughs> like, you just channeled my Vincent Price tattoo. But, like the Amityville horror kind of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. The, Some of the late 70s also it hits. Was, it was that, atmospheric. It yes. was a mood. It was a, yes. It's a mood movie. And it's a ghost movie, which is a little... Not as like visceral. There's no Michael Myers fucking attacking hot naked PJ Souls. Like there's no just like nailing all hey, these what, moments. Whatever happened to PJ Souls? What? <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Um, but by the same token, there's a movie called The Shining that comes out. If you've never seen The Shining, this will be my first one where I'm like, your life is garbage and you need to watch it. All of Stanley Kubrick's movies are a little bit horror movies, but it's truly his one where he's like, I'm going to make a fucking horror movie that's going to blow all the other horror movies out of the fucking water and fuck you guys. Fuck you. I have a beard. I'm going to drive a couple of the actors insane. Just Uh, one of the actors. Let's be honest. I would make the argument that he literally took uh, just a kind of semi-crazy Jack Nicholson and like punched a button in his brain and he has been wearing I'm, sunglasses and getting weirder and weirder ever since. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. You'd, he was I always think, that crazy? He was always that crazy. It's I, Jack Nicholson. I don't know. It's Jack fucking Nicholson. I make the argument that still to this day, I love Jack Nicholson. I love a bunch of his movies. That is my favorite performance of his. It is beyond nuance. It involves lots of crazy shit. It is so interesting. That conversation he has Saw with, it on television. Oh my God. That conversation he has with the bartender, like the, I just, he had scattered my papers all over the floor. I mean, it's this and his face, everything starts lighting up. I'm just, give me the bat, Wendy. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brakes. Like this really spooky, really insane. I mean, there's documentaries made about just how crazy that movie is. If you really watch. In all fairness, though, mm-hmm. there is a documentary about how. Yeah. How From <laughs> Dust From Dawn was made. And <laughs> Rob Zombie made a documentary about making Halloween 2 that's longer than the movie. That is true. That is true. But, I mean, listen, if you're just eating Oxycontin the entire time, anything you make is good. Um, you talking about Rob Zombie? <laughs> That makes so much more sense now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this is a great yeah. idea. Like, if you ever read any of Stephen King's books that he he admits to writing after he got hit by that truck, and he was like, I was just taking Oxycontin. Dreamcatcher is bullshit. I don't know what the fuck is happening. I I've, I just kept writing. I don't know what happened. And people published it because it's me. But that's his brand. He doesn't remember writing Cujo. He's so fucked up. That's <laughs> true. Like, if he remembered writing a well, book, he we're going to get into a movie that he directed, and he literally, in interviews, has said- He doesn't remember it. He doesn't remember because no. he was so coked out goddamn mind he literally talked about having to stuff tissues into his nose because it was bleeding so much while he was directing that movie but also in 1980 so basically there's like three big things that in my mind really that come out like there's obviously there's like prom night and maniac and cannibal holocaust we'll get into that maybe we'll go into like italian horror at some point but it's kind of its own thing like it does definitely appear it does definitely influence but at this point, I, I feel like that's its own episode right. eventually. I agree. And also, it's kind of separate. Like, because horror is so hot in all world cinema in the 80s, it's there, but it's very different than Canadian and Hollywood cinema horror stuff that's coming out. And Prom Night is Canadian. Then there's a movie called Friday the 13th, which I love. But the Cunningham first one is, honestly, I don't think the best. There is an awesome part where Kevin Bacon gets stabbed in the neck. 
Okay. Spoilers. I haven't seen it. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Six degrees. Kevin Bacon gets stabbed in the neck. Um, And that creates its own genre. Literally there all of a sudden is the fun slasher movie, the slasher movie that is jump scares and atmosphere, but a bunch of dildo characters that you hate and you're sort of glad they get murdered. It's, I don't know if that movie ever came out before. The um, horror date movie. Yes. You take somebody there, you see a movie that's not that scary, you jump together, you get closer together, and then you go, want some popcorn? And then you're just a piece of shit. <laughs> and you got your erect penis in the popcorn, and you're I like, has that ever worked? That could have gone on said. <laughs> Trying to be a little subtle. You've got butter all over your penis, and it's and there's salt in your urethra. It's a whole thing. It's, it's, Why it's, are you, if you know you're doing that, just go with the plane. Just stop. Just stop. But, like, that is such a blast wave, and... 1980 creates a bunch of different movies and genres that kind of blow up. Also, Altered States, which I have to toss out there. Ken Russell. Ken Russell directed a bunch of, like, 70s movies like The Devils and these very sexy, oh, I'm the devil and you're a nun and like that kind of thing. And then he makes Altered States, which is more subdued, but like a cerebral. That'll get into movies like House and those kind of movies that will pop up later of like, I'm a weird Vietnam vet. Is this in my head? Is it not there? So you have a bunch of genres happening in 1980. Uh, 1981, we were talking about this earlier, American Werewolf in London comes out. John Landis, I love John Landis before he screwed up and murdered a bunch of people accidentally. Uh, manslaughtered. He manslaughtered some people accidentally. I'm sorry, John Landis. I love you, man. If you want to come on the, not your son. I mean, isn't manslaughter mean accidental murder? Right. Yeah. Okay. You, you accidentally, yeah. <laughs> yes, you manslaughtered a bunch of people. Um, you're still a great director, but. He was. Yeah, that's true. He that directed true. the stupids. He also directed. Thriller and the Blues Brothers, and but once you murder like two <laughs> Vietnamese kid and Rob Morrow, that's it. You don't you don't that's, get it back. That's true. It was an accident. It was an accident. But I was making the argument that is American Werewolf in London kind of the first meta horror movie. It's also another one that I would toss out there that you absolutely should see. It still stands up. It's still spooky and still kind of funny and weird. Griffin Dunn. Yeah, Griffin Dunn's great. Yes, the ghosts. American Werewolf in London and Griffin Mm -hmm. Dunn, he's the friend that gets murdered. He comes back as a ghost. He's literally the guy who spends the whole time telling David, you need to kill yourself or you're going to turn a bunch of other people into the walking dead. Yeah. That came out in 81. Yeah. I didn't see this, but I heard about this. That Tom Cruise movie, Mm -hmm. The Mummy, Mm -hmm. they did the same thing. Yeah, they tried. And it uh, It was real stupid. It was, believe me, I... I, (laughs) They had Nick from The New Girl. (laughs) Yes. I will say... Fucking that old ass Scientologist is still doing his own stunts, and there was some crazy ass shit in that movie. Yeah. It was the only. It was boring, are, boring, boring, and then you see like a fifty five year old man jump from one helicopter to another. But they are digitally, yeah, de aging his face, <laughs> yes. and they gave him abs <laughs> that he does not have. They definitely did, and a cool leather jacket, yeah. and like a bigger dong. Yeah, they, they did a couple of things. Nineteen eighty one is like blowing up, though. They, you have the Evil Dead, which is the Sam Raimi classic, which kind of a, not exactly a self-aware, but starting to figure out tropes, starting to figure out, oh, people think this is just going to be some George Romero fucking zombie movie. Also tossing out George Romero in the 70s. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right. George Romero didn't make just George Romero Mm -hmm. zombie movies. He made the fucking zombie movies. I agree. 
But these are possession movies. He, these aren't zombies. I know, but it's creating different tropes because you have the exorcist in the seventies. You have George Romero in the seventies. They both create two different tropes. And then Sam Raimi's like, what if I kind of fuck around with all of this? What if I sort of play with this idea? What if I play with the cabin in the woods idea? What if he's already playing with the cabin in the woods idea a year after Friday the 13th? I mean, it's literally that fast. Um, you have poltergeist. We were talking about Toby Hooper and, did Steven Spielberg direct this? I don't know. <laughs> he definitely produced it. He definitely stood over Toby Hooper's <laughs> shoulder going, you know, it'd be great. <laughs> don't blow it. Is your name Tobe? Get, get off of me, Steven Spielberg. Um, Just moving the hips. <laughs> um, the true, in my opinion, follow-up to Halloween for one of our favorite directors and one of the masters of horror, John Carpenter, he makes the thing. And That's 82. Is it? Yeah, yes, you're right. That's right. On came the on the cusp. same day as Blade Runner. Yeah, you're right. Okay, we they can, both bombed. Yeah, and uh, but so hard. have made a great deal of money since. Yes. Whereas I bet you, if I looked up what one best picture 1982, I don't know, I don't know what With it is. Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, and that's really making a lot of money after the fact. Yeah, but you do have like the Howling, Joe Dante, Joe Dante, Joe Dante. It's not that good, but the Howling is worth watching. It's worth watching to see Dante kind of come into his own. But it really is kind of an audition tape for him at Warner Brothers. And they're like, all right, this guy knows what's up. He fucking made a movie for a million bucks and it made 17 million bucks. So we'll let you do Those it. were the days. Those were the days. Well, but then they're like, we'll give you we'll give you like 15 million bucks to make Gremlins. All right, you want to make a crazy ass thing? Let's do it. Fucking. And yes, you're right. It was still- also worth mm-hmm. noting. If you're going to do a double feature, do off of our show. I mean, mm-hmm. Do the howling, do American Werewolf in London, do the howling yeah. first. Yeah. Watch the transformation yeah. scene in that. Mm. That is an amazing transformation mm-hmm. scene. Watch what Rick Baker does in American Werewolf in London because it's one, the howling is in complete darkness. Damn, Rick Baker. <sighs> RIP. RIP. American Werewolf in London is in a well lit room. Yeah. It is so well lit. You watch, you hear, you see the pain of him transforming. It is pure fucking agony it is gorgeous and yeah. beautiful and just horrifying agreed and you also get to see an awesome scene where a werewolf that is not cgi chases someone in the london tube and it's awesome yeah it, it is. still looks great it's amazing yeah you Dude, also have one of the best R.I.P. Psych- john landis's career <laughs> yeah you also have one of the best dream sequences ever yes. where you have weird monster fucking Nazis come in and slaughter an entire family and then cut the protagonist's throat with a knife the size of my head. Yes. Also, it teaches you a, a really valuable lesson, which is that if you're in rural Scotland, you will get turned into a werewolf. Okay. That will happen. Especially if you're an American dildo. What's with that pentagram on the wall? <laughs> oh, <laughs> 1981, 1982. Uh, there's creep show. Romero. Yep. Uh, Romero comes and back. King. Yes. Stephen King stars in one of the series of that. Yes. Uh, still on cocaine, I believe, because it's the early 80s. So I'm sure he's yeah. getting weird. He's wearing snakeskin cowboy boots. I like the different eras of King. I like all of them. It's like super poor King where he's like wearing slippers all the time. And then there's starting to get rich, but doing cocaine King. And then there's dope early 90s, like sober and just like hiding away, writing the spookiest bunch of weird shit. And then there's later getting hit by the truck doing Oxycontin King. It's I'm, it'll be an interesting movie when they make the Stephen King movie and have like fucking Michael Fassbender be Stephen King. So that is the worst casting ever. <laughs> there's a movie called Cat People that Paul Schrader made. I will toss David out David Bowie in the soundtrack. Yes, yes, exactly. That's why you see, that's the thing, though. 
why I brought it up is because you start to have big celebrities, big musical acts start to notice before horror movies were kind of B and because of obviously front runners like Romero and John Carpenter and Frankenheim. Now you're starting, it's starting to pick up my only point. I like by 81, 82, even the most stalwart producers in Hollywood who are like, Horror movies are bullshit. I'm not doing this. They're seeing the fucking box office returns and they're like, yeah, 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 fucking, you know what? On second thought, you know that movie that we were going to make about that corrupt cop or whatever fucking that people liked in the mid-70s? We're not doing that anymore. We're doing a movie about slumber party, kill, massacre. I don't fucking know, but it makes money. thing about horror movies in the 70s mm-hmm. is that the indies were making the money. Yes. The studio pictures were making money too because you had The Exorcist, right. you had The Omen, right. you had monster movies, but it was all this fucking like- Star Wars that made a little money in the 70s? Not a horror movie. I'm just saying like- movie, I know. Right. This is your one reference towards Star Wars every, every time. Every time. I've, yeah. They cut somebody's arm off. But they have all these yeah. mainstream horror films yes. that are like monster movies and they're based on religion and all this shit right. and demonic possession. And you have all the indie movies come. Yes. And then that's what starts getting everything bigger. And then you get to the 80s and it's like- everybody's making the horror movies that are not just, you know, the devil made me do it. Agreed. And some of that indie stuff that was very indie of like a guy with a chainsaw chasing people sort of explodes into the mainstream. So like we'll get into him, but like last house on the left, Wes Craven, these very weird grindhouse, vicious movies. They're like Toby Hooper, like breaking through, like he made Texas chainsaw massacre. And then he comes back and appears to be able to make a much different kind of movie with Poltergeist, and it changes the game on what Hollywood produced. Like, that was a canon film, too. That was a mid-range. That was a not a indie, not a fucking... I mean, it was a canon film, but it was a Spielberg production. Uh, right, which is crazy. Yeah. Which I don't, But I wonder, that's literally because, like, something I like about Spielberg, and we'll talk about it on our Spielberg episode, or our eight Spielberg episodes, but... The Spielberg I'm only was, showing up for two. I'm just saying that Spielberg was literally one of those dudes where it was like, if he liked something, he would show up and, like, be like, I'll help with that. I don't care. Like, I don't care if it's not exactly full Hollywood. I like this guy. I like this idea. I'll do it. He's truly, like, one of the master executive producers of all time. But then, yeah, in 82, you get The Thing, which I'm sure is on your list. Might the, even be better than Halloween. I think The Thing think is, is my favorite horror movie of all time. Yeah, mm. I'm just going to fucking say it's it. It's up there, yeah. I don't care. I've watched it in Spanish. I've watched it with commercials on Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. I own it on every... I wish I could find the fucking um, Laserdisc. Mm. I'll have it on everything. Mm-hmm. I have two copies on VHS. No. I don't care. Every time I go to Bucket of Blood, I'm like, I don't have to buy this. Yeah. I have this already. Yeah. And then I stop myself from buying Hellraiser 2, which we'll talk about later. But... <laughs> The Thing is the perfect culmination, everything that is John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter. We're recording on a table right now with a Halloween blanket as a fucking tablecloth. That's correct. Most of my list is John Carpenter. I agree. It comes into his period where he begins to go from being indie to being a true Hollywood director in that now he's got Kurt Russell in it. Now he has big Hollywood. He can prove- Well, I mean- I'm just saying, like, yeah. he proves that he has this, he can have this ensemble cast of big Hollywood actors in a, in a truly ensemble movie with this extremely well-written, it's really well-packed together, like, there's such good... Pacing is perfect. Pacing. I would even say blocking. The blocking is amazing. Dean Cundy does the cinematography. Yeah. This movie is beautiful. Right. And Iyu Murakone does the fucking, the music, and it's perfect. Amazing. And it's just, it's so... Boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. 
I like the uh, bon, the, bon. and I I appreciate that Carpenter stepped back from the music. Like yeah. he's such an amazing musician. He, he was like, this is his first studio job. Yeah. Like you were saying, he took on a huge thing, and he wasn't going to like just tackle everything. Yeah. And then you had all the special effects by Rob Burton, yes. which are insane. This is his We're first insane. job. He was like 19 years old. Yes. He he was overwhelmed. He was like, uh, he didn't sleep for the entire he was 19 production. 19 years old? Yeah. Jesus Christ, and I hate this guy. They brought in Stan Winston to do the scene with all the dogs because this guy was losing his mind. Also, they're in Antarctica. They're in fucking like, or no, I'm sorry. The setting is in Antarctica, yeah. but they're like in fucking like Sweden or something like in the middle of fucking nowhere in like the Arctic circle. They are in Arctic danger. Like there yeah. are actual ice storms happening. They're for real making this movie. It's crazy. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a line in there that is so obscure, mm. but also just like so close to my heart. I can't even say it. Mm. It is the password to two of my logins. Uh-oh. I can't say the line, but it's... F- oh. It is Wilford Brimley's The Alien, finally. Yeah, with a no, three, no, it's a line of dialogue. E. Oh. It's a line of dialogue. <laughs> I would love to say it, but I would literally, right before it taps, edits this and publishes it, yeah. I would have to change my login. So I, I also can't. appreciate... It's one of those times, too, something I love when like really movie nerd filmmakers make a movie where it's not actually a remake. It is actually a sequel to the original 1950s thing. Like in Carpenter's mind, I don't want to spoil anything, but at the very beginning, the guy running from the camp shooting at a wolf wildly. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Is Carpenter being like, that's the end of the first movie into this movie. And I appreciate when filmmakers are like, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to slip it. I'm going to slip it in that this is a sequel. This is not exactly a remake. This is in Canon, if you will. No, the thing I'd also put, I'm like of our couple we've put up there so far, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, I mean, you got to see the thing. And I know they've made a remake. No, no, no. You got to see the John Carpenter thing. It was a remake prequel because it's right. the people in the Swedes camps. I guess. And, or you can see the 50s. They're Norwegian. And, right. You can see the 50s one too, but. Which also, if you haven't seen the original Halloween. Right. Lindsay is watching the thing on Halloween night. Yo, interesting. But that's what I love about Carpenter. He's such a fucking nerd like us. I mean, he yeah. really like, he knows all of this stuff backwards and forwards about horror movies. That's, he loves Hawks. So that, that's, I think there's an element too with like. I've said this before that horror and comedy have a touch of the pornography element to them where if a horror movie is scary or a comedy is funny, then it's served its purpose. There's even a, a Wes Craven quote where he says something along the lines of like, you know how to make a good horror movie, scare them, give them a boner, freak them out, get them out of the theater. And it's kind of like, I agree with you, dude. I mean, that's, there isn't necessarily anything like that in the thing. But, like, that's also something that I like about the thing is that Carpenter was like, no, this is... And also, it will lead into some of these kind of action horror movies that will come in the 80s. Now you have John Carpenter creating the action horror movie, in my mind, with The Thing. And we will get into a couple of big-time action horror movies, which I think even kind of follow the mode of John Carpenter's The Thing and do it maybe in their own way and with a little more money, but there are two particularly that we'll talk about in a second, but 1983, Tony Scott makes the hunger where they're vampires and you have David Bowie and you have some bigger actors starting to appear in this. 
and you start to have the vampire trope start to appear. It's not that great a movie, but it makes a decent amount of money, and it adds, once again, another genre to this, like, 80s horror mayhem in American and worldwide box office that is just, like, blowing the fuck up. Uh, You also have, like, Sleepaway Camp, which if you've never seen... Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you have Sleepaway Camp on your list? I do. The only thing I have next to it is the word (laughs) transphobic. Slash, slash, slash spoiler. <laughs> you, you blew the whole movie. Yeah, um, that's right. It's like the crying game, but way dumber. Uh, <laughs> I wish Forrest Whitaker was in this movie. Try, also, Showalter has said that uh, What Happened American Summer has a lot based on <laughs> sleepaway camp. Like these characters with the dumb shorts and yeah. everyone being an idiot and these yes. terrible things happening. So retroactively, if, that makes so much sense. Uh, so if you want to see, you want to see some influence on uh, some sort of mid two thousands comedy, check out sleepaway camp. I only bring this up. Uh, a movie called Psycho Two came out in nineteen eighty three. It's crap. It's garbage. It's but- it's watchable. It is watchable. Yeah. The third one's even more interesting because it's directed by fucking... Anthony Perkins. Yeah. He's good in both these movies. He is. He is is the reason why you can watch both of these movies. mm -hmm. But then he literally is just like, he's not a real director. Correct. And that's a huge thing. But also it's like, they lead you down this path of like this whole thing. And it's like, nope. 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 Uh, and also, I have to bring up one. Just uh, I know this is going back to 1981 a little bit, but there's a movie called Piranha 2 The Spawning, which we'll get back to, which was directed by someone. And we'll get into that in some a second. Some unknown asshole. Some asshole. Some Canadian dickhead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't um, apologize to him. <laughs> he, can, he can come after us. He can come through the microphones. But 1983, one of my favorite movies. I know the main actor is now kind of a clown, but... I love a lot of his 70s movies, but David Cronenberg breaks through with Videodrome. Videodrome comes out in 83 and is a, once again, a entirely new genre of horror in world cinema. Videodrome just explodes out. It is bananas. It is burrows. It is literally just the most, like, what are you even talking about? It's experimental and strange and... The ending doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. But it makes sense. It makes sense in a way. Doesn't it, though? Doesn't it, though, Nick? Doesn't it? Th- it does. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm doing video drum. I know. Uh, <laughs> Long live the new Flash. Long live the new Flash. If you've never seen Videodrome, do yourself a favor. James Woods goes bananas and pulls a gun out of his own stomach. Um, Deborah Harry's in it, which is nice. And she gets tortured to death in a movie that James Woods sees. And then he's like, hmm, that was hot. I need to figure out who made that. Dude, this is literally the kind of movie we're talking about. Obviously, there are some auteurs in here, but if you're really going for that sense of like auteur, auteur, like nobody else makes movies like this motherfucker, it is David Cronenberg. Yeah. It's like whatever happened to David Cronenberg as a child (laughs) where his body got hurt in some weird way. He has somehow manifested that into the worst nightmares of my life. It's like, like Hey, do you you ever wonder what you like if you turn into a fly? Hey, you ever wonder if you like, if you could press your head into a television set, Hey, you ever wonder if your head would explode? 
Because of Michael Ironside? I like the idea that he was just totally normal, but he just grew up in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, all this stuff happened to him. Yeah. I thought Canadians were well adjusted. Uh, it's like Sweden. It's like you just have to live in the dark cold fucking like nine months out of the year. And you're just like, oh, I'm totally fine and yeah. polite and normal and nothing weird is going on here. Nothing that would make us into Viking berserker killers at all. Nothing weird. And you're like, hmm, okay. Um, 1984. We get another Stephen King movie, Children of the Corn. I fucking hate that movie. It's not good. It's so stupid. <laughs> Isaac. It's so stupid. Herschel. The only good thing it's in that movie. a bunch movie, of Mormons killing everybody. The only good thing in that movie is Pinocchio from the Burbs. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you're right. Oh, he's the main one, Herschel, right? He's the fucking yeah. mega bad guy. Um, yeah, giant it, scary ginger. Yeah, if you ever want to see a horror movie that doesn't scare you, 84 is, I don't want to say this is where we're starting to jump the shark a little bit. But things are blowing up. There's all these new genres. It's horror. It's fucking mayhem. But they're like, yeah, we'll make anything. We'll make any Stephen King thing. Stephen, write yeah. something. And he literally is like, uh, and he writes down the children of the corn on like a fucking legal pad. And they're like, put $40 million into that. I mean, not, it's the 80s. Like, put $12 million into yeah. that. And they made You it. can blame the 70s on that. <laughs> and the Palma. You start with Carrie. Yes. And then you get fucking. Carrie is dope. Carrie is dope. Yes. But that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. You I get agree. that. You get The Shining. Then right. you get Firestarter. Right. Then you get Dead. Oh, we're gonna get into it. There's a lot. Spoiler alert. Well, wait, what's the Christopher Walken one? Dead. Uh, uh oh, uh, fucking the Dead Zone. Dead Zone. Also a really good movie. Yes. Also Cronenberg. No. Let's uh, to the Wikipedia. I think it might be. And it then, is Cronenberg. Yeah, I'm telling that, you. That makes sense why it's good. So. Yeah, Children of the Corn is dumb. Spoiler alert, uh, they make a shitload of Stephen King movies. Uh, they still do. But it's not that crazy when you think about how Stephen King is sort of this weird Charles Dickens of America, which also sort of explains something a little bit in terms of his content. But in 84, there are four more movies that I want to bring up in 84 that are big time important. And also I want to bring something about, up about the Christmas of 1984, okay, that is very, very important to all of this. In 1984, you have a movie called Gremlins, which Joe Dante is... Dante! He's our guy. I love I, lo- I love Joe Dante. And if this technically is a horror movie, this is the first horror movie I ever saw. I saw it when I was a little kid. I fucking loved it, though. I was a little scared of it. I'm not going to lie. It is creepy, but I fucking loved it. I Gremlins is a great movie. And Joe Dante is such a good way He's, of like yes. creeping you out and being weird but sucking you in and being like, and by the end, it's like they're wearing page boy hats and blowing the old yeah. lady that you hate out the window. And you're like, the gremlins are awesome, but you hate them. And when you really don't hate them, you don't hate them. No, you, the, you, the original script, you would have hated them. I the agree. original script, they hmm. kill the fucking mom. They cut her head off. That's some fucked up shit. That's some fucked up shit. Just as long as they don't kill Phoebe Cates though. That's that monologue. That, I know I talked yeah. about Phoebe Cates monologue, but there's some gremlin shit that we'll get into that. We'll Which go also, Gremlins mm. 2, like her monologue goes so over the top. And so the movie that is the most meta sequel of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. They literally just go, we don't have time for your monologue right now. Mm-hmm. We have to stop the gremlins. I love that so I, much. I, absolutely. And we'll, I think we should even save this for our Joe Dante episode a yes, little bit yeah, yeah. because we can really deep dive on gremlins. But I would just suffice it to say, I'm going to tell you straight up, gremlins is on my blockbuster wall. You need to fucking watch it. 1984, you also get... Probably another one I'm going to put up there. I love Wes Craven. R.I.P. 
Um, he finally comes into his own in his 80s-ness. He finally figures out how to 80s it. He did it in the 70s. He'll do it in the 90s. He figured out how to do it in the 80s, and he makes A Nightmare on Elm Street. He makes Freddy Krueger. He creates this, and once again, an entirely different version of horror movies, an entirely different genre. These dreamscape movies that are kind of like the Friday the 13th with the teenagers, but now he's making the teenagers actually three-dimensional characters that you like yes. and don't want to and die. They're not all jump scares. No. It's a creepy, atmospheric movie. Like, the scene where he's walking down the oh, alley and his God. arms stretch out, like Stretch yes. Armstrong, and he scratches up the thing. That is... Terrifying. And doing his Wes Craven thing where he incorporates things like that Freddy Krueger was a child murderer, child yeah. molester. There's a lot of like stuff that nobody wants to talk about. That the the boomers are hiding things for their yes, kids. Exactly. They're hiding things from you. Obviously, Johnny Depp is in it. He was like, hmm, this yeah. guy's kind of good. This, this guy's guy might, good. He might what if we good. suck him to a couch and pour out <laughs> 50 gallons of corn syrup. But it's awesome. It is it, awesome. Oh, man. The, it's the best thing Johnny Depp's ever done. The kills in it are just like, I can see what's crazy and be like, hmm, people like kills. I'm going to make the craziest kills that have ever happened in the history of cinema, you fucks. Like, We're it's, going to drag her body across the ceiling. Dude. Twice. Twice. And it incorporates meta stuff, like things that are in your dreams. Are they really there? Like, how much of this is actually happening? And like, then also one of the best ambiguous endings oh, of all fucking time. fucking Luli. Except for the fact, spoiler alert, right. the mom getting sucked into the door. Yeah. Looks like a dog. It looks, yeah, there's, I mean, see, it's but it, obviously a mannequin. <laughs> there's definitely some 80s mayhem where they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess keep that in there. I don't know. Their budget was like $4 million. <laughs> it's true. We're lucky we even got the mannequin. And it blew up. It made like $30 million. It blew the fucking doors off when it came out. It was the reason, like, they had been making sequels a little bit at this point, but when that came out and blew the doors off, it was like, now we have to make sequels. I'm leaving out some of the Friday the 13th because I'm only going to go into the couple that I really, really like. I actually, like an idiot, passed over Friday the 13th Part 2, which I love. Steve Miner, who fucking... Uh, uh, fun fact, mm -hmm. the little Christmas tree I had, the Christmas tree topper was Jason with his fucking potato sack over his head holding <laughs> the pitchfork. <laughs> Dude, when Steve Miner comes in and is like, no, this is about idiot moron yeah. jerks that you hate getting hit with axes and Jason is the hero. He also then changed everything. He was like, nobody had ever thought that the killer was the hero. And Steve Miner then worked on like Dawson's Creek and helped create the wonder years. Yeah, he, had a, he like, had a lot of normal jobs after that. Like, but um, back to Wes Craven. Yes. This is, I don't know if you remember mm, this. Mm. We were having a party. I don't remember mm. what it was. We were having a party at the shark shack when, mm. Wes Craven died. I literally yeah. walked around telling everybody that Wes Craven was dead. Super producer Brian Tepps is Hi, show, Super producer Brian Tepps. is showing me that uh, like $30 million when that came out is like $75 million. Oh, yeah. It blew up. Yeah. And also, you remember that I was like genuinely bummed because we were all bummed. Wes Craven to me is honestly another one of like cinematic masters who maybe even if his movies were dumb, he would try different stuff. And when he hit, when he actually figured out what the American audience was, they didn't even know that they wanted. He would then change all of the landscape yeah. of cinema. And he did it literally for three decades. And that's, I'm sorry, that's, that's pretty fucking impressive. Um, 1984, you also have trauma doing the toxic Avenger, which yes, yes. 
Check it out. It's fun. I'm not a huge it's, fan, but I love yeah, Troma. I love Troma. And it's Tromeo just, and Juliet is one of the fucking <laughs> right. dumbest, greatest yeah. movies ever made. I gotta, I gotta toss him in because he's in the back. He's in the back taking pot shots in the B movies, yeah. you know, like with horror movies. Toxic Avenger is their highest grossing film of we all time. We wouldn't have James Gunn without Troma. That's, you wouldn't have a lot of people. That's, exactly. This is also something that I should posit is that all of these horror movies, you wouldn't have a lot of your favorite actors, yeah. a lot of your favorite directors, a lot of your favorite like makeup and special effects guys and girls. You wouldn't have a lot of your fucking favorite fucking like composers if there wasn't this cool thing in the 80s where Hollywood allowed people to cut their teeth with these low budget horror movies that they hit out of the park. And then they were allowed to make whatever the fuck they wanted. 1984, there are two things I want to bring up, though. Uh, granted, it's a summer movie. It is Ghostbusters, okay? It's the Ivan Reitman fucking classic. You can call it not a horror movie. You can call it a horror, sci-fi, comedy. You can call it whatever you want. But it also, in my opinion, solidifies this thing that Hollywood like could not reject, which is that like horror is here and it is big time money and it is now mainstream like there are parts of ghostbusters that are genuinely terrifying the opening sequence where they go into the basement of the new york public library and that go get her get that was your plan get her ray get her also god i'm blanking right now but the special effects for ghostbusters and i god he did star wars he did a lot of like it's a very particular version of using light and matting to create these very flowy, glowing effects that, in my opinion, stand up way better than CGI does. They, I'm just going to go out on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to speak for the show, but I will. Yeah. All practical effects stand yeah. up better than CGI. Absolutely. Except for, like, the only exception is Jurassic Park because they use miniatures. Well, and also when you, well, and there's, like, ones where, like, I still think, like, if you're using it to reflect reality, right, where, like, yeah. David Fincher would do it in Fight Club where he would just yeah, David drop Fincher, down, like, exactly. several stories real fast, and then you'd be at another there's, scene. It's like, quick and there's no detail. Or if it's, like, mm-hmm. fucking Mad Max Fury Road mm-hmm. where they made the desert in Africa look even crazier than it is exactly yeah, yeah. where you're just adding or david fincher in every movie you're adding texture yeah. you're adding you're adding different levels as opposed to like something that's on or the mummy stare at or the mummy adding a six-pack to tom cruise <laughs> absolutely adding our more love to me and tom cruise's yeah, love exactly and, yes absolutely you could go clear but that doesn't mean you keep abs in that's your 50s a hundred percent a hundred percent um the guy from ghostbusters i th- was thinking of his name is andy perillo he did total recall and all of the Ghostbusters and like Silence of the Lambs like came up with lots of weird effects that nobody else was doing. He also did like Batman, like a lot of crazy shit. Anyway, so the thing I was going to bring up and before we end the episode, because we're going to cut it off here, we're going to do a two parter. We're going to do that's right, motherfuckers. We're going to do 1981 to 1984 of 1980. I know how to tell time. I know what day it is. 1980 to 1984. And we're going to come back next week with 85 to 89 of horror movies. But in 1984, I have to bring this up. Panasonic decides that they're going to eat it. They're going to eat the costs of the actual VHS machine, right? Before that, the VHS had cost like around $1,000. In the Christmas of 1984, Panasonic was like, fuck it. We're going to make our model, which is going to be high-end, cost $500, which is a lot, particularly in the 80s. But 
the executives at Panasonic were like, look, the average American has a credit limit somewhere around 500 bucks. So for Christmas, they might be able to actually buy one of these fuckers. And they didn't just guess right. They fucking guessed like a 100% bingo. Because I remember around that era was when my parents ended up getting a VHS VCR. And Panasonic went from having something like like something like 7% of households in the United States having VCRs in their house to somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50%. And the second that that happened, then you had this huge extra burst of horror movies because then direct-to-video was born. You could have this extra market, particularly for things like horror movies, and you could directly be like, look, we don't even have the money to get these into fucking... We're not even going to try to fucking get these distributed. We're going to go directly to motherfuckers in their house, and they are going to buy them. And there's always that weird burst when a new home market comes out and people want something to buy. And that's also why the Ghostbusters VHS was such a huge, massive success the next year was because people wanted a VHS to buy to go with their brand new VCR that they had bought. And that was Christmas 1984. That was when the VCR was born. And honestly, in my opinion, kind of when the second era of 80s horror really takes on a lot of weird different levels. When did you get a VCR? 89. Yeah? Yeah, but it was a hand-me-down. We got it from uh, Larry. It also came with... (laughs) He uh, he worked with my dad. We got it from him, and it came with a camcorder that just attached to the VCR. But yeah. here's the thing: yeah. supposedly, if you yeah. charge the battery in the yeah. VCR, yeah. you could carry that thing around, and you have a portable fucking video camera. <laughs> but since that VCR yeah. was so goddamn old. Mm-hmm. The battery didn't charge anymore. We were right. too poor to do it. So we wound up like eventually getting a new VCR. And then we moved that into like me and my sister's room. Yeah. And then we made a fucking dumb horror movie. <laughs> oh, fuck about, yeah. It was a dumb slasher movie about a, about a dude going to install cable. It was about a high school where the killer was your boyfriend, but you didn't know that. No. I knew my boyfriend was a killer. <laughs> no. So this is totally off tangent, but like. It was called Sayonara Suckers. And <laughs> oh God. Yeah, no, I'm going down this road. We were like nine or ten. We made this movie. It was me, my sister, and my cousin using things we had taped off of HBO. So like it started off with the 20th Century Fox logo. And <laughs> love, then we used oh, I love that. I used a bunch of like weird like cop things. Rupert Murdoch from breaks different in the movies. door right yeah. now and is like, you owe me money. Sorry. I taped it the whole thing with an episode of B was a butthead. <laughs> but we made a slasher movie with our first VCR. Mm-hmm. I love that. I genuinely appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you. It's interesting that now that I think about it, it's like our two origin stories are sort of connected that way. <laughs> Cause my, my dad, I remember like bought, like when I was very young, like a VCR for like Christmas, it was like, it's for everybody. And he was like, don't touch it. And I was like, yeah. I immediately was like, I got to touch this thing. I got to figure mm-hmm. out how this thing works. I got like a VHS copy of like return of the Jedi. And I was like, and I hadn't seen the other star Wars movies, but I'm like four years old. I'm like, I don't know how to read or write, but I figure out how a VCR works oh, yeah. so that I can watch Slave Leia and Jabba the Hutt. I'm like, yeah, no, I got to watch this shit over and over again. Here's the thing. I had to show my dad how to set the VCR. Like from a young age. I just, like This was like two weeks ago. 
he <laughs> cut all this out. I feel bad. I feel bad. Nah, Believe nah. it in. Um, so Nick, in the time that we have left, what movies do we miss in the the early eighties that you love? 81, 83. Okay. Halloween two. Oh yeah. And Halloween three. Oh, yeah. Halloween two is a piss poor movie, but <laughs> here's the thing. Donald Pleasance get wild. Donald Pleasance is fucking great. Yes. There's no denying that. Yes. He's great in all the Halloween movies. He is by the end of it. He's so over the top. He's like Jack Nicholson on cocaine, <laughs> just like in as good as it gets. <laughs> well, someday your son's going to die, Ugh, whatever. <laughs> but Halloween two, it continues right at the end of Halloween. It has one of the greatest fucking beginnings of any movie. That's what draws you in. It draws you in, and then they fucking kill Ben, whatever the hell his yeah, name is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's crazy. So we were talking about the sequels. They build the universe. The movie gets bad once they get to the hospital because then it turns in to every other 80s slasher film until Donald Pleasance get there, and then you blow the shit out of each other. Yes. And then yes. here's the other one. Halloween 3. I think is the most underrated mm. Halloween film out of all of them. I think it's a super underrated sequel. Also, it's not a really good movie, but yeah. here's the thing, the concept, the music, the way it looks, the way it feels yes. and the way they eventually execute it is great. And it's also one of the craziest ideas ever. So you have a successful franchise based on a serial killer. And then you go, you know what we're going to do? If we're going to keep doing these sequels, we're going to turn them into serials. So it's a different story. And it comes out every Halloween. And the first one, it fucking bombs. And they wait five years and they go back to Michael Myers. (laughs) But Because he's the man. What they do, yeah. What they do to launch this Halloween series of like different movies. What if we make a bunch of Halloween masks that kill all the kids in America? Right. But also with that theory that maybe because of Michael Myers' mask is what made him insane. We okay. talked about this. I yeah. don't agree with it because they show a commercial for the original Halloween right. in Halloween 3. I respect your opinion. I know. But I'm totally John saying John Carpenter was coked up enough where it sort of made sense back he then. He was just sort of drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, I, I will say 2 and Season of the Witch are both like yeah. incredibly watchable. They're yeah. incredibly watchable. You should definitely, they are absolutely worth watching. It's not like 4 and 5, which are just like, ooh. And then ooh. I'll talk about two more films real yeah, fast. Hit them. Hit them, baby. Fade to Black. Mm. Terrible movie. Terrible movie. The best part about this movie, the scariest part about this movie, without mentioning it, they just cut to Night of Living Dead. But this is a crazy movie. It stars Dennis Christopher, Mm -hmm. who was the star of Breaking Away. Yes. The bicycle movie. Yes. In this. Finally a bicycle movie. Finally a bicycle movie for the rest of us. The Italians are coming. (laughs) Um, Spoiler alert. Your neighborhood's getting really loud. So... (laughs) But the pasta is going to be delicious. Yes, it is. <laughs> when you're here, you're not really family. Anyways. Unlimited fucking salad and breadsticks, though. Stop it. <laughs> so you you have this movie where it's this. This is why I'm bringing it up. It's a fucking film nerd. He spends his entire, the entire thing is he loves movies. He keeps going to the movies. That's why they cut to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. He falls in love with a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. And then starts stalking her. Mickey works in this fucking movie, too. Yes, that's why. I was like... That's why you remember yes, it. Yes, And then what he does is he dresses up like film heroes of his and fucking starts murdering people. It's such a dumb movie, <laughs> but yes. it's entirely memorable. Right. And then... Kind of like Maniac, which I didn't bring up, but yes, also is really stupid, but would create a lot of weird 
horror movie tropes that would also appear later, particularly I'd fuck me. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. But yes, continue. Ted Levine, huge yeah. fan of me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 1981 burial ground. Yes. This is an Italian zombie movie. I saw this, at the music box. This movie is so off the charts and so controversial. I might get the music box in trouble for saying this. <laughs> it was billed as their secret film yeah. because they didn't have the rights to show it during the music box of horrors. Ooh. So maybe bleep out <laughs> box and music Some box sort of, of horrors. Theater. Uh, music smocks. Yeah, they just celebrated their, theater. Music box theater celebrated their 90th anniversary on <laughs> Southport. But it could be any theater. It could be Port South. You don't know. Smartport. Um, All right, real quick before we end this. No, stuff. no, no. I'm not real fast. Real oh, yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say this one last thing about this yeah, movie. Yeah. Decent. It's decent. The effects kind of cringy. But here's the thing. I always say this, Italians love incest, and it's a lot of their movies. They and hired, the devil. And the devil. <laughs> they hired a 25-year-old dwarf to play an 11-year-old kid because at one scene, he sucks his mother's teat. Finally. That is why this movie <laughs> is famous, because the dwarf plays an 11-year-old and sucks the mom's teeth. What's the name of this movie? Burial Ground. Burial but here's Ground. the thing. It came out under three different names in a bunch of different countries. It's also known as Zombie 3, because Zombie 2 is well, yes. just called Zombie, right. and Zombie is a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, which when they released it in Italy was just called Zombie. Yes. But then the sequel they released was also called Zombie, totally. but without the E at the end. Yes. It makes no fucking sense. And our Italian horror, when we get into Argento... Oh, I'm going to freak out. Giornetto, like these guys... We're, it's going to be bananas because, yes, there yeah. is so much crazy. It's literally like in Canada and America in the 80s, there's crazy horror shit going on. But in Italy, in Italy it's like, always been like that <laughs> forever. <laughs> yes. And it hasn't stopped. I don't know. They also like it's literally like George Romero, like blew their mind and they were like, oh, no, but that's wait okay. a fucking second. Real like, fast. Yes. It took them years to see the actual cut of. Dawn of the Dead, because if you've seen the the European version of it, Dario Gento cut it down, changed all the music, okay. and basically turned it into an action film. Wait a second. Were the Romans hyper-violent? No. <laughs> no. No. You're no. thinking of someone else. Oh, okay. Got yeah. it, got 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 it. I, f- I forgot. Excuse yeah. me. Okay, we accept re- your apology. Real quick, why don't we do this? Why don't we do three? Three for the blockbuster wall? Yes. Okay, so I would say uh, first one is... The Wes Craven classic, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think you should absolutely watch it. We went over it. Johnny Depp's first movie. It's completely cerebral, completely insane, super dreamy. I also have seen it on like 35 millimeter at the music box. It's really fucking dope. It still stands up. Do yourself a favor. Check out Nightmare on Elm Street. My number three, I just brought it up. Yep. It's Halloween three. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. Yes. Which also the only witch in there apparently is an Irishman. This is tough. This is tough. I'm literally cutting down a bunch of my favorite movies here. I'm going to go number two because I'm going to, I think there's one that I'm going to let you take. Number two, I'm going to say American Werewolf in London. I think it's funny and spooky and sexy and violent and not like anything you've ever seen. It's not like any movie you're ever going to see. Nobody's ever been to match this weirdness. Nobody's ever been able to match this like fish out of water kind of, but it's then scary and violent, but also your dead best friend is haunting you. It works. It's John Landis's maybe most auteur movie, most creepily Landis movie he's possibly ever made. I'm doing something different. I'm excluding The Shining and The Thing out of both of my top three. Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, I'm going. I'm going completely. I don't know. So uh, number two, mm. I'm fucking going with Videodrome. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Long live the new flesh. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking. I would say, you know what? And I'm gonna save like Gremlins for my fucking my. Dante wall. I'm going to save this thing for my carpenter wall, but I am absolutely 100% my number one, my favorite horror movie of all time. Hilariously, my dad was in town and he slept on the couch and I was up to nothing. And I just watched the shining while he was asleep. And then he woke up and was like, what are you watching? I was like, the shining. He was like, you watch the shining before you go to bed. I was like, go back to sleep. (laughs) I absolutely love The Shining. I love it. Yeah. I love every single goddamn second of it. It is the most electric fucking horror movie I've ever seen. If you've never seen The Shining, you will turn it on. And as soon as it starts, as soon as it starts panning over terrifying Colorado roads, whoa, whoa, you will be sucked in. And whatever spooky thing that you hide deep inside that Cooper can fucking knife out of you like a, like a, you know, weird little piece of gold in a fucking river, he'll find it and knife it out of you. And you'll be like, ah, ah, at some point it will scare you. And, or you might turn into a ghoul like, me after it's been knifed out of you and you're like I don't care that that lady gets out of that fucking thing naked and goes after Jack Nicholson I don't care anymore I'm crazy now what's your number one Nick oh, I forgot the joke I was gonna make <laughs> nailed it I'm just gonna go with Evil Dead fuck yeah good yeah call. it's, it's amazing it's great it's so good I'm surprised you're not waiting for Evil Dead 2 but it's all right it's all right well, Evil Dead 2 is in 87 yes I know that's what I'm saying yeah like, so I mean like Evil Dead's amazing yeah really I don't is. here's the thing the thing the shining mm-hmm they're some of the greatest films of all time. Agreed. They go past 80s horror films, in my yeah. opinion. Evil Dead yeah. is something so special, yes. something so amazing. And very 80s. And so fucking 80s. Yes. You know, minus a little tree rape. Right. I think it's a spectacular movie. Agreed. And the fact that it took them so long to make and they had no fucking money. Yeah. Like, it was a real struggle to make Evil right. Dead. And it's amazing, and it's all on screen. It looks great. Right. All right, team. I think we crushed it for the early 80s horror. We're going to be back next week with late 80s horror films. Are we recording this now or do we have to actually come back next week? No, we have to come back. Because got plans. No, we got a lot. Of, we got a lot of important plans, but we're coming back next week. Uh, remember, drive your car real fast, do drugs, build your house on an Indian burial ground. We love you. This is Blockbuster Film School. Come back next week for the spooky class. Nick, I heard you. I heard you. They just moved the headstones. You knew it. You knew it. They just moved the tombstones. They left the bodies. I'm not going to hurt you, Wendy. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in.